lecturer at Pi, and I welcome you all to a very, very important webinar called C-section epidemic in Pakistan. Um, I assume that uh, whoever present at a virtual floor must have gone through the literature and what this seminar intends to achieve. Uh, but just to again, read through it, um, the webinar will basically conceptualize and explain as to why uh, the C-section is becoming or has turned into, uh, into an epidemic in Pakistan and uh, whether the C-section um, is uh, a mal practice in terms of uh, the medical profession is concerned or does it really cater to uh, the needs of the contemporary Pakistani uh, women. We will also be discussing about the clinical audits do they exist? Is there any regulatory framework for that? Are they are being surveillance by the state uh, apparatuses? And if there are certain mechanisms um, on place, um, then what are the institutions uh, functioning with that? Um, so without further ado, I'll get, I will give a quick uh, introduction of each of our esteemed uh, uh, speakers. We have with us uh, Dr. Samyal Tang. She's an author, a physician, public health specialist, and former senior advisor to USAID currently. Uh, Ma'am is appointed as a professor of practice in public health and director of campus health and safety at LUMS. We also have with us Professor Dr. Saida Batul Mazar. Um, Dr. Mazar is a pro vice chancellor, Shaheed Zulfkarli Bhutto Medical University, and she's also functioning as obstetrician and gynecologist at MCH Center at, at PIMS. Also, we have among our speakers um, Dr. Saman Nazir, a demographer, a medical sociologist at PIDE, and a Fulbright scholar who has conducted her PhD fieldwork on the subject matter. Um, I welcome all the panelists again. And uh, over to you, Dr. Nazir. We'll start our discussion with Dr. Nazir's presentation. Over to you. Just give me a minute, let me share the screen with you. Okay. Um, good evening, everyone. So let me start with discussion with my research, which I have done on this topic. Um, and can you please uh, proceed, Mitsur? Um, yes, thank you. So um, the importance of cesarean section is, of course, um, uh, we all know it uh, saves uh, mothers and babies' lives, and it's a very um, critical procedure, which is very important. Um, but um, there's a rapid increase in cesarean section rates in Pakistan. Um, in 2006 and seven, it was 7%, and it uh, is up to uh, like 14% in 2012 and 13. And the most recent um, um, Pakistan Demographic and Health Surveys uh, indicated this 22% in Pakistan. Now, the question is, um, is the cesarean section rates are high in Pakistan? And the answer is a definite yes. Um, because like World Health Organization, it says that uh, cesarean section rates more than 10% are not associated with any uh, reduction. It does not uh, reduce any maternal or neonatal mortality. 
Now, um, it is very important to um, understand why uh, cesarean section rates um, are like high rates are concerning and specifically in um, context of Pakistan. First of all, of course, is a major surgery and um, it has a cost on women and uh, babies' um, health. Um, when a woman um, has a cesarean section in a recent birth, is, is she's most probably uh, would have cesarean section in subsequent birth. So it's kind of uh, exposing women um, exposing a, a woman for um, on cesarean section multiple times because fertility in Pakistan is very high. Like we still have 3.4 uh, children per uh, women of reproductive age. So uh, it's, it's we are exposing the women of Pakistan to a surgical procedure multiple times. But there is a very, um, there is also a very concerning thing that because like I cannot find a single hospital in Pakistan, which have uh, like uh, explicit policy, which says that um, uh, we elect cesarean section, uh, cesarean section of the choice of the women. Like if I walk towards uh, in a hospital and says like, I want a cesarean section and I don't have any medical indication that I need one, but uh, can you do it for me? And there is no hospital with a policy, like explicit policy that says that, yes, we do it on the choice of women. Now, here comes the cost. Now, the citizen section costs more than double than the vaginal delivery, and even more than that. It's not only the procedure, but like a woman has to stay in the hospital for two, three days. And then there is a nursery cost and all these things add up into the bill. So if it is happening um, for the sake of the profit making, it's, it's, it's a malpractice then. Now, we see like in Pakistan, there is a public hospitals, there are private hospitals. Now, if it is happening in public hospitals, so we are very concerned because Pakistan is a resource poor country and it's just, uh, this is uh, the resource exploitation. Sometimes you go in uh, public hospitals and you don't find an antibiotic there. So if a surgical procedure is happening there without any medical reasons, then it's a resource exploitation. Now there is a private healthcare facilities and which is um, also a cause of concern because I don't know what is the uh, regulation um, around this cesarean section. Um, there, are there any orders of private healthcare? Uh, private healthcare facilities if they are doing it as a profit-making business. Um, Mansoor, can you please um, proceed? Yeah, thank you. So either um, cesarean section in Pakistan are happening because of um, the financial gains or time management or on, on the choice of the women for medically unnecessary use, um, uh, which is uh, unnecessary use of the procedure. So the time management thing is also very important to um, look at because like there are doctors, uh, we all know there are doctors that um, practice on the, in the uh, public care healthcare facilities and they run their clinics at, uh, at night and at, in the evening. So there are also like part of the, the private healthcare facilities and they are also be part of the public care facility. So it's, um, it's kind of tricky in that sense. And the time management, uh, in a sense that uh, the procedure is like, um, is, it may take a doctor's one hour um, uh, of her time, 
but um, if it's, it's a vaginal or a normal delivery, it will, you never know how much labor, labor ends. So it's kind of, it is either it is happening because of the financial gain or it's because of the time management. Mansoor, can you please, yes. So in my research, um, what I asked, this is the question was the controlling for the medical clinical indication, if we control uh, the medical uh, indication, is delivery by cesarean section in Pakistan is more likely in a private healthcare facility than a public one. Um, Mansoor, proceed please. Um, thank you. So um, skip these two slides. Uh, data. I'm not getting into the data and methods and the framework of the study. If anyone is interested, uh, I will be more than glad to explain to them. Just email me. The, uh, the study is also available on the, um, in the five working paper, so you can download from there too. So, um, but uh, I need to uh, mention, uh, I, I think it's important to mention here that I um, take care of the, um, the selection uh, thing uh, in this uh, study because like not all the women in Pakistan have the same probability to deliver at the health facility. So only those women who deliver at the health facility are um, uh, in fact uh, more um, are uh, at risk of cesarean section. So um, in the place of delivery, um, uh, like um, we see that uh, in my sample in the PTHS, we use the PTHS data, and it is uh, around fifty three percent who deliver at the health facility. And among those um, uh, 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 who are uh, delivered at the health facility, seventy four percent. Um, uh, are delivered by the vaginal and the rest are by the cesarean section. Um, so can you proceed? Yes, thank you. So if you see um, in, and now this is a breakdown um, of public and private health facilities and this is around 28% which is cesarean section which are um, um, uh, done by the private sector uh, healthcare facilities. Um, proceed, yes. So this is the results of the study. And um, first we will see like who, who are more likely to deliver at the healthcare facilities. So our results show that the women who have this previous cesarean section, who have terminated pregnancy in the past, the women who are aged, who have higher birth orders, or who have antenatal visits, more antenatal visits, uh, complicated uh, pregnancy, uh, proceed. Uh, Go to the next slide, Mansoor. Yes. And the women um, uh, who have um, secondary or higher education, um, husband education is secondary or higher, are women who belong to uh, the rich, uh, richest, uh, rich and richest quintile, and women who have barrier free medical, perceptionally barrier free medical. Um, um, like uh, perceptionally, if they are more empowered health-wise, uh, they are more likely to deliver at the health facility. Mansus, um, go to the next slide. And the next slide. Next slide. Yes, next slide. One more, yes, here. And all these women who are educated, who are from the rich quintile, who um, have um, uh, uh, complicated pregnancy, when they reach to the medical um, center and we take care of the medical indication, and what we found that um, the women uh, 
who delivered at the private health facility are have the higher odds to have cesarean section. And then uh, those things also hold true, like if they have a previous C-section, if they have terminate pregnancy, who are aged, who have higher birth orders, women who have more antenatal visits or uh, have pregnancy complication, they are more likely to have cesarean section, but also the women who have delivered at the private health facility are more um, likely to deliver at the have cesarean section. So the conclusion really is, um, uh, move to the next slide, the private health case um, in Pakistan is our medicalizing the childbirth. I know if we look at the literature uh, from the um, from the Pakistan, the health case, uh, the, the studies, uh, they are done by the doctors in hospital, um, in the public institution, they, uh, they also indicate the medical reasons behind the injection of cesarean section, but they also uh, justify the, um, the high rates of cesarean section in public health uh, care facilities uh, because there are so many referrals from the periphery uh, um, um, regions. Like it cannot be done in a VHU, so they refer the patient to the tertiary health care uh, uh, hospitals. So that is justified, but why private medical health yeah, why private health maternal health care facilities are ever medicalizing the childbirth? That is the question. Uh, and if you see the perceptional study from Pakistan, uh, which are the qualitative studies, the women in Pakistan have a negative perception about the having a cesarean section. So it's not only the women who are, um, you and it's not only the health of the women is here, it's also the health of the babies also are concerning because, because of the high rates, because um, it's an extension of my study, which I'm not uh, discussing it here, but there is also uh, I study that how this thing is affecting the breastfeeding behavior and the women who have cesarean section, they are less likely to breastfeed, exclusively breastfeed their kids. So of course you have a surgery, you can't, it's, it's breastfeeding is also, it's, it's also a labor in a sense. So they cannot do it if they have a surgery. So it's not only the women health, it's also the baby's health. And then it is also the pocket of the breadwinner who is paying for this procedure. So this is a lot of questions that arise with this, our medicalization of childbirth. And that is all from my side, Fahad, over to you now. Uh, thank you so much, ma'am. I think your presentation and your research findings have uh, provided a strong premise to further debate on. Um, adding to your um, arguments about the subject matter, I would really like to uh, bring in uh, Dr. Uh, Saida Batul Mazza to the discussion. Uh, ma'am, um, my question to you would be regarding this whole debate. Um, that if our empirical research, and it's not an old research at all, it's these are very contemporary studies. One was conducted in 2013, another in 2015, another 2017. Um, if overexposure or over medicalization of childbirth is putting a mother's and a child's uh, health into serious jeopardy, and if uh, one-time exposure of a mother to a C-section is leading to multiple exposure to the C-sections, and if the recent studies and the perception surveys are also indicating that women prefer normal delivery over C-section, then where are we going wrong? Are we putting too much onus on our gynecologists and what doctors? Uh, over to you, Dr. Bhutul. 
I would like to appreciate the speaker for an excellent presentation and I think a very good overview of the current situation uh, is uh, evident from her presentation. Uh, there are some points that are very valid. Definitely our cesarean section rates are high and uh, I would agree that private uh, uh, facilities have higher cesarean section rates, whether they are driven by the money or whether they are driven by the patients because patients want no problem. They are not ready to face any risks for the mother and the baby. So if you are doing a trial of labor, the first time the heart dips, the whole family is uh, surrounding the gynecologist that why are you not doing something? You know, so there is a lot of uh, defensive obstetrics going on in the private facilities because there is a litigious environment and uh, there is defensive obstetrics and this is all over the world. And as you are more uh, medicalizing, it would happen more. But I would disagree uh, with the fact that by increasing institutional deliveries, we are increasing cesarean section rates. No, this is wrong. Having birth at home does not mean that you are avoiding cesarean section. Birth at home can result in a dead baby. It can result in a dead mother. But if your outcome is a normal delivery, is that your outcome? No. So we want safe institutional deliveries, both in public and private sector, and there is need to have accountability. We have to be accountable. And the accountability is very difficult to establish in a country like ours. We have a very uh, different sort of a health system. We have fragmented healthcare and uh, we cannot have uh, a low fertility in Pakistan because our children die too much. We have the highest neonatal mortality rate in the whole world. Hamare, uh, if we have 1000 infants being born, 46 would die in the first 28 days of life out of 1000. So with this high mortality, women would keep producing more because they've lost some and they may even lose an infant. So we are in a very difficult situation, but yes, there is need to have some system that you have accountability of both the private and public sector. We at the, I, I'm, I'm also the chairperson of our local chapter of Society of Hobbs and Gaini of Pakistan. And we have now, we are trying to establish uh, a national, national sort of a, um, uh, reporting authority or an audit authority that, but it is very difficult to do it, but we are thinking of having that, what are the cesarean section rates in different regions and there should be some accountability and there should be uh, some means to ensure that wrong things don't happen. And the hypothesis and the suggestion that the hospitals should have policies regarding having a social cesarean or not having a social cesarean I think we don't have any policies in the hospitals. They don't exist. They are unwritten policies. They are unwritten rules. And people are following whatever their best judgment is within the practice that they do. So why expect that you would have 
a cesarean section policy in a hospital, wherein there is no other policy. So we have to change our culture into audit and policies as well. Thank you, ma'am. Um, I would like to bring in uh, uh, Dr. Samia Altaf into this whole discussion. And ma'am, what's your uh, take in particularly in particularly in reference to Dr. Saman Nazi's presentation and research findings. And what do you have to uh, say about conceptualizing C-section as a pandemic in Pakistan? Can you, or as a public health uh, specialist, do you see it as a pandemic in theory as well as in practice? Over to you, ma'am. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Fahad, and thank you very much, uh, Dr. Saman Nazir. Uh, uh, Dr. Nazir's uh, presentation, of course, is very comprehensive and, uh, and uh, very educational. And it's clearly you've done a lot of hard work. So thank you very much for sharing that. And thank you to you also, Fahad, because you, in your opening remarks, uh, uh, laid out the framework of the discussion very well. And it helped us all focus. So thank you very much. You know, I look at it uh, uh, in this fashion, and of course, Dr. Batul brought, uh, you know, uh, really up-to-date uh, clinical perspective to this, which is, which is helping me very much to focus my, my discussion. So thank you, Dr. Batul. Um, I look at, look at it this way, you know, I, we are so used to having uh, somebody else define for us what is normal for us. And, uh, you know, correct me, uh, Dr. Nazir and Dr. Batul, if I'm, you know, we, if, you, if you look at the literature, the uh, cesarean section basically is an intervention in uh, obstetrical care. So if you look at, uh, and then it's a, it's a, it's a life-saving device in obstetrical emergencies. So if you look at the literature that talks about obstetrical emergencies, uh, you know, in, even in normal pregnancies and pregnancies that have had good antenatal care and, and uh, have been looked after, the expectation is that about 20% of the pregnancies uh, will go into what we call obstetrical crisis or an obstetrical uh, uh, emergency. And most of the time, uh, not all the time, and Dr. Batul will correct me being uh, the clinician uh, of that uh, level that she is, most of the time, the uh, uh, intervention that we employ is a cesarean section. So, you know, when I think about this, I say that if we are, we expect uh, uh, the uh, obstetrical compli complications to be about 20%, then, you know, we should think that maybe 20% of the deliveries uh, uh, will end up in cesarean section. Of course, not all of those uh, complications end up in cesarean section, but that's just one way to think of it. That does not mean that does not mean that the number of uh, uh, cesarean sections that are being performed, many of those are being performed without clinical indications for the cesarean section. So that is why we feel that there's an excess number that is being performed. The second uh, 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 variable that I'm looking at is that, you know, these, these, uh, these are medical interventions and all medical in interventions depend upon the medical system that is set up. In Pakistan, we have whatever the system is, you know, it's a fee-for-service fee procedure-based system, which is why, why most of the doctors uh, want to do a lot of procedures because that is how they get reimbursed. They get paid for doing the procedure, which is, which is a higher pay. And of course, you know, in the United States, most of these procedures are, are you know, a cesarean section in the United States is 
about $5,000. So, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good chunk of money. So a clinician is, is psychologically looking to uh, uh, evaluate uh, the, the obstetrical crisis uh, in the framework that, oh, well, I have the option to do a cesarean section. And, you know, the medical system is such that the doctor makes the decision and the patient pays. It's not that the patient makes the decision and the patient. So the incentive on the physician to, to do something clearly moves them in that direction. So it's happening all over the world. Why would it not happen in Pakistan? The third thing that I'm looking at is that, you know, there is, there is uh, 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 in most of the places and in most of the hospitals, and as Dr. Batul said, that, you know, she is, uh, and, and uh, her colleagues, they're struggling to set up standards and they're struggling to set up all these things. So in most of the hospitals, there are regulations, larger public health uh, and health services regulations, which are monitored, which are implemented, which are monitored. And, you know, uh, auditors and clinicians such as Dr. Batul and researchers such as Dr. Nazir, and, you know, maybe public health specialists like me, we kind of look at all of those things and we audit them and then we determine what the standards should be. And we should be able to enforce those standards and implement those standards. I mean, with the, with the, with the, with the way things are, even if you set up standards and even if you have regulations, neither of those two things are there. But even if you did, the, the process of implementing them and holding people accountable has to be part of the system which it is not. So there are all of these, these uh, uh, things in the framework which move clinicians towards this, that, uh, you know, let me do a cesarean section. And so we are, are we calling it medicalization of, of childbirth? Okay, if we call it medicalization of childbirth, you know, my, my very particular uh, gripe and my particular passion has been for the past, you know, almost 30 years trying to improve the maternal health services, because this uh, cesarean section or any other intervention, whether it is forceps delivery or you know assisted delivery of any kind, happens in the context of the larger maternal and child healthcare system that is set up. And you know, the 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 on the one hand, we can say that uh, cesarean sections there are too many and unnecessary being done. But I have, you know, kind of spent almost 10 years, 15 years of my life researching maternal health services in rural areas in Pakistan. And, you know, it is, it is horrible to see that where cesarean section is desperately needed. It is desperately needed. It's a life-saving intervention in, the, in situations. It's not available. Because, of course, you know, it requires an infrastructure. It requires obstetricians. It requires an anesthetist. It requires a treatment. And I say that because I was uh, managing uh, US AID, United States government assistance to the government of Pakistan under the Parman project, which ran from 2005, 2006 to 2011, in which you know 24 district hospitals were to be improved to provide obstetrical services. And now this is another story, <laughs> but you know, the, the, the extensive uh, uh, um, review and extensive uh, visits, field visits that I did showed me that this, this life-saving procedure is not available where it is available. So the issue is, and Dr. Uh, Nazir has shown in her research in meticulous detail that, you know, it happens in primary gravidas and older primary gravidas, and it happens in uh, extremes of age in older women and in younger women. 
those are those are risk factors all over the world which are which are risk factors for cirrhosis so i think it is important for us to look at this in that larger framework because there's not one variable that pushes people uh, dr batul knows much better than i do that uh, you know there is a and of course she highlighted that that there is a demand from from the patient that you know the people heart rate goes wonky you know people uh, start to worry so i'm sure there are many other other uh, variables that she has encountered which you know have to be dealt with by by obstetricians such as herself so i think that we need to take a little bit of a, a, a broader view of this and analyze it in that context thank you so much ma'am thank you so much um one of the important uh, objectives of this webinar was to speak of um, uh the the political economy of the healthcare system uh on the global national local fronts as well and one of the arguments which is presented in the literature is that uh, yes intellectualization and over intellectualization of the academic disciplines and professions be it pure sciences medical sciences or social sciences on one hand has produced research and practice which is of normative human and humane value but on the other hand it has led to the commercialization of occupations and professions so from there in there is an incentive to earn profits or to generate over revenues and this was one of the findings of our dr nazeez uh, um research as well um ma'am do you buy into this uh, political economy angle of it that there are economic incentives involved there are profits involved and uh, uh, and these sections provide that avenue to reap more benefits from do you buy yeah, that I argument yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah of yeah. course of course there's political economy and of course there's a commercial angle doctors also have to pay their rent and pay their children school fee and you know have to buy shoes and a car and you know all of that so of course you know it's a profession like any other profession uh when i was working for uh, for watching dc's department of health my job was to set up these uh, service delivery systems and you know we had we had direct uh, uh uh i would say orders or direct recommendations from the from the mayor's office that we are also expected to help set up businesses because doctors offices and hospitals and you know paramedical staff because that 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 is how the economy functions so the medical services are also a part of the economy in which people people have jobs and people earn money so the doctors are yes doctors get to earn money and they should earn money they should earn good money because they have like i said children to raise and rents to pay and of course they have a desire uh, to uh, pro progress in their in their in their careers and why not that is that is i personally feel that that is part uh, and of course they contribute hugely to the economy i mean look at the kind of jobs that that uh, uh, surgeons uh, generate you know they have uh, nurses and they have uh, they they order x rays they order tests they order blood transfusions they order all of those kind of things that, ge that generate jobs so the health system and the political economy economy should support these people to do, do their work they should be very happy if these people's work expands and if these people earn more money because they will then generate income more income for everybody but what is important is that the the regulatory system and the accountability system and the uh, and the system of monitoring should be such that the outcomes are also in the interest of the citizen 
you know, it cannot be completely free for the doctors to do whatever, clinicians to do whatever they want to do because, you know, there are, not, not everybody has the same standards and not everybody has the same, uh, uh, same kind of skill level. So the, what kind of skills the doctors have and what is the standard of care that they should provide, uh, how, how, what are the regulations under which they should under, under which they should work, and to some extent, extent, the rate setting for particular interventions and the rate setting for particular service is also part, should be part of the responsibility of the health ministry. So yes, I quite agree that uh, that the political economy is is is, uh, is very much part of this whole service delivery system. Okay. Um, Doctor Bazul, what's your take on this political economy dimension of it? And yes profit generation and uh, the revenue making is important, uh, but those should be practiced at the cost uh, of uh, the findings that Dr. Saman Nazee's presentation has uh, taught us. What's your take on that? I would say that the world is not black and white. It's shades of gray. So uh, among the doctors, you'll find very white doctors, the ones who are doing very good practice then you'll find black sheeps, and then you'll find people who are gray. So the systems have to be robust. What we are lacking in Pakistan is the systems which are not strong. So we all realize that, but as far as the public sector is concerned, you would find very high cesarean section rates in majority of public sector hospitals. And as someone said, that they are driven by the referrals they get. And they get referrals from homes, from dais. They get referrals from even private hospitals who do not want to take cases which are likely to end up in a mishap. They would refuse care to such patients. So when they refuse care, they, they come to the public hospitals with all sorts of very serious morbidities. So that is very important. But I would like to share something that one of my colleagues told me that a young um, uh, researcher came from US and uh, they did a, a cost uh, estimation of a cesarean section in a public sector hospital. So somebody asked me, what do you think his figure came out to be? So I said, well, maybe 30,000, 20,000 to the government of Pakistan because they're paying the doctors the salaries, the nurses' salaries, the electricity, the gases, the anesthetists, everything is paid for by the government of Pakistan. So it came out to 1,80,000 per cesarean section. And this is somebody's personal, he came and did the cost analysis on the basis of the salaries, the physical space, they sit in prime property, all public hospitals are prime places. They are sitting in very prime areas. And it absolutely, you know, upset me. And it really hurt me. You know, government of Pakistan is spending, if it is not 180, maybe 150 on every cesarean. And we have patients coming into public hospitals with tremendous anger and saying, why are we made to bring medicines worth 10,000 rupees, which the hospital doesn't have certain disposables. And this is a free hospital. They have no clue how much the government of Pakistan is paying for this service. And this is the lack of public relationing. So the government of Pakistan has to 
tell the people that we are providing tremendous free service and we are spending so much money for these services. So this is something which really, really hurt me because this is what all the patients, if they have to spend a single penny in a public hospital, there's tremendous upset. And there's a lot of sifarish, they have to buy it. So this is very important. Another point is definitely cesarean section in the private sector costs more than a spontaneous delivery because the services used are more. The theater is used, the gases are used, or maybe the anesthetic services are needed, he's paid for it. So, but I think there should be a point of view that SVD, normal delivery, as well as cesarean section, for the doctor should be charged the same, for the obstetrician should be charged the same because a doctor who delivers normally works twice as hard as a doctor who delivers by cesarean section because the skill is there, but the time given for a spontaneous delivery is much more. Cesarean is a one-stop thing. A, a good, technically good doctor will just do it in half an hour and push off home while a person who's doing a spontaneous delivery is stuck with the patient and has to keep coming again and again at odd times to deliver that patient. So these are things that we have to think out of the box to get it out of this uh, hole that we are in. We are definitely into high cesarean section rates. The private sector by virtue of the cost and the convenience is quite interested in uh, cesareans of dubious indications, but they are good private setups doing very good job. So you cannot, and the same can be true for a public hospital as well. They may be taking the easy way and doing an, uh, maybe a cesarean section for dubious reasons. So it is all to do a lot with ethics. And as I said, there are gray areas. There's no black and white. Thank you, ma'am. Ma'am, as uh, a gynecologist uh, functioning at PIMS, um, and as you have mentioned in your earlier responses as well, that there is a lot of vacuum when it comes to uh, policy and the health policy does not really cater to respond to have clear nomenclature or do's and don'ts about uh, uh, the c-section or, or, or whether a woman or a mother should opt for the normal for delivery i would want to you to reflect on the lacuna uh, that exists on the policy front why is it so i think we are not developed that far as a nation and we should accept it. We have excellent laws. We have super constitution. How much is it implemented? Underage marriage is a crime. But that is happening all the time. There's so many uh, major punishments for sexual and, you know, gender-based violence. None is being done. So we, on paper, we have an excellent, everything is fine. On paper, Pakistan has one of the best referral systems in the world. On paper, the, the BHU, the RHC, the basic health unit, the rural health center, the Tehsil headquarter hospital, the district headquarter hospital, the tertiary hospital, we have the best on paper. But what is the fact? We all know. Only functioning things are basically DHQ and tertiary. The rest are at their own will. So there is a serious dysfunction. And I think in the maternal health part, we have started to move on by accepting that we have bad statistics, we have bad outcomes, let's do interventions to improve. We do not need more research, we need action. And this is what I say at every forum. 
I know enough about maternal and neonatal health. Please move on. Don't tell me new research. The research, the way, the way, and the place we are is right at the bottom. To get up and to crawl up this hole we have dug up, we let's do something rather than you know we are again making uh, documents or we are making the, those documents have to be things like these regulatory documents. We we need to move on and work on maternal and neonatal interventions and not do uh, unnecessary research. We need to do clinical systems research. We need to do interventions. We need. Uh, uh, a very important initiative that has been recommended by WHO is that if I do a cesarean section, I ideally I should have a second opinion. Every cesarean section, if you want to reduce incidence, every cesarean section which is not urgent should have a second opinion. Urgent ones don't need a second opinion. It's the one that is semi-elective. Should a breach have a cesarean section? Should she have a normal delivery? Should she have an external cephalic version? Should there be a second opinion? And these are these are the policies. But who is ready to implement it? If I say to my colleague that I'm going to give second opinion for every case that you do in your private clinic, she will say, uh, who are you to do that? Unless there is a policy, you cannot do interventions. So, and similarly, the healthcare commissions in the provinces, they are fantastic. But when I ask my colleagues, often on paper they are fantastic, but in practice they are not that fantastic. Ask the end users, the doctors and the healthcare workers. There are some good things and there are some serious suffering that has been caused. So every initiative has to be controlled, audited and improved. Nobody can be given absolute power. The healthcare commissions have become too powerful. They should be powerful, but there should be some controls. So they're, they're very important things. The healthcare commission is something that would be the regulatory body. But how, how much does the ready, regulatory body uh, have the sense to use its power properly? It doesn't stop the quacks. It doesn't stop the people who are not qualified. The qualified people get tremendous flack. It has to be fair. Yeah, thank you. Um, Dr. Samuel Taf, uh, do you want to have a word on um, uh, the lacuna that exists around um, the health policy? Yes. Because, uh, yes. yeah. Yes, thank you. You know, uh, there are a couple of points in which I agree with Dr. Batur, and there are a couple of things which in which I don't agree with her. Uh, in terms of the lacuna for policy uh, front, you know, uh, she, has, she has laid it out very well because, of course, she encounters it every day. But you know, the it's not it's not it's not a mystery, and it's not uh, really uh, something which is hidden from our view as to why we don't have a very strong uh, strong policy. I personally feel, and if you look at the policymakers, I personally feel that the competencies that are required for making policy are are in very short supply. And uh, I want to clarify over here that I am not saying people are incompetent. All of these people are very smart. They know their own work, but the, the special competencies that are required to do that particular policy-making job is very much lacking in, the, in, the, in most of the uh, uh, senior offices. For example, you know, Dr. Batul is an exceptional uh, obstetrician, and of course, you know, she has exceptional competencies for doing obstetrical delivery. 
I studied obstetrics and I did obstetrics as a, in, during my house job, but that doesn't make me incompetent as obstetrician. So that is one, one thing that's important. The other thing is that the policies are made, like she said, she's absolutely correct in saying that these are all paper policies. So when she says that we have a very good referral system only, only on paper, I disagree with her. We have no referral system. You have buildings and you have stuff which is sentences on paper. That is not a system. System is something that functions well. The other thing is that when you when the government sets up and writes these things, you know, where are the incentives? You know, if the incentives for doctors and for nurses and for people are that if they if they if they uh, you know uh, uh, rationalize uh, during during cesarean session, uh, cesarean section, and uh, and there is no extra money in in cesarean section, they will not do. They will stop doing that. Dr. Batool said earlier about three or four, uh, uh, five minutes ago in an earlier part of the discussion, that uh, you know if they if they get the same amount because they spend the same or almost the same amount of time or the natural the spontaneous delivery doctors spend more time. So if the doctors are paid according to the time that they spend, then of course you know doctors will start doing. And if you get if you spend more time doing spontaneous deliveries, then doctors will all doctors will start doing that because they will earn more money. Incidentally, that is how the United States uh, rate setting for services is done. That is exactly how it is done. You decide how much of the resources that person is consuming, and then you charge and set a rate according to that. So that is a third. And the third thing about research, again, I will agree with Dr. Ratul, that you know there is tons and tons of research available. The question for us, people like us to ask is, I mean, we've just seen Dr. Nazir's work, absolutely outstanding and so meticulous and so detailed. The question to ask is that who's going to use that research? Where does it go into policy making? Who's coming to fight to ask that, you know, Dr. Nazir has done this research. Let's take this research and, and set our next uh, maternal health policy on that. That is the question. Thank you. Um, Dr. Patul, would you want to speak on the clinical audits? Uh, because one of the way outs as prescribed by Dr. Saman Nazir is to have the clinical audits on place uh, as part of the system or institutionalized, but just in case if they are not. So if we want to institutionalize them, so what, how important are the medical ethics to be kept on place or to be put uh, into consideration? And if these exist, then why aren't they functioning well to respond to the issue? That we are discussing right now, Doctor Batu. Oh, yes, I would. I would like to share with you the the good part. There are some good things happening all the time. I think we are very privileged to have a very dynamic uh, uh, health professionals in our country. So currently, we are having uh, uh, modified Robson's criteria are used for audit of cesarean section. So that is supposed to be the international WHO approved method of auditing cesarean sections in different facilities. So we have a current initiative by the Ministry of Health, the Society of Obs and Gynae of Pakistan. They are both collaborating and we are training people in different uh, provinces, including the federal area. We've uh, even uh, trained the Gilgit Pakistan people, the Kashmir, uh, Balochistan, everywhere. We are taking this modified Robson's criteria audit system and we are encouraging the health facilities to uniformly start doing it. 
we have been doing it for the past 10 years and that is our personal thing because we like doing audits the pims is a center of excellence and we have presented in different fora including in the royal college in uk so with that is our but this is a government initiative because of the understanding the who is assisting us that the sogp is collaborating and we had a recent training of trainers session and uh, we were doing these audits beforehand, but now we've modified and improved our audit on the basis of the training we've received. So things are in place because someone has done this research. It just adds to the uh, uh, whatever we have available. And the how, however, as recent as it is, then we are we show that this is so relevant. So things are being done. And I hope whoever is listening in this seminar, we have uh, KP is implementing this audit, um, Punjab, Lahore, so this is constantly, we are starting this audit nationwide. And obviously the starting points are the major tertiary hospitals, because this is where the, the, the commitment is, the professor is there, the PGs are there, they'll do it, they'll start it. And obviously they should then go on to the private hospitals as well. Hmm. Somehow in this whole network of auditing, the private hospitals somehow they wriggle out of it. They have no system that you can find out how, what, where is happening. But in government hospitals, there's still some accountability. So I think uh, I would say that uh, we are making progress and this is a good news to be shared. And I hope whoever is listening to me would uh, discuss with the relevant uh, seniors that modified Robson's criteria audit is the gold standard method recommended by WHO being practiced worldwide and I hope uh, we, we have started to improve our system and I hope all other hospitals also take it on and teach their residents, teach their medical officers to audit. The purpose of audit is find out what is your cesarean section rate, find out your common indications, look into the factors which you can improve where you need to reduce more when you need to intervene more and again repeat that audit cycle and see whether you've been able to improve it at all um dr samuel Tav, uh, if you have to prepare some kind of uh, a for checklist of what needs to be included uh, while framing such clinical audits so what would you include and why you know, I will not answer that question because I think the clinicians are in a better position to answer that question. So I think that, uh, you know, I would uh, refer this question to Dr. Bati. However, I will speak to the, to the overall framework of the audit and uh, uh, how's and why's of it. Uh, you know, Dr. Batul just said that uh, the, uh, and I have no doubt that, you know, the audit uh, that WHO conducts, it does that all over the world. There's a standard, and I'm sure it is very good. But the question to ask is that, uh, you know, the, and <laughs> Dr. Batul actually used a word which is very kind, and, and I wouldn't use that if I was, if I was uh, uh, talking about it. She used the word that somehow, the private hospitals wiggle out of it. You know, I just find that that quite amazing. I mean, private hospitals uh, work within the government regulatory system, whatever regulatory system it has. They don't, they don't, they don't function in a vacuum. You know, in a stratosphere, they work within that system. 
the government has to have they have set up they have set up these uh, public health commissions they have set up these uh, authorities they have done this that and the other and all of them say that our job is to make sure that there is standard of service and there is standard of care and they make sure that private hospitals and private institutions have licenses otherwise their licenses will be taken away i mean 60 to 70% of your service is offered not by private uh, not by public hospitals but by private hospitals the majority of your population and majority of your financing is going into the private sector providers so to me it seems very strange that you know uh, people like us are sitting back uh, uh, and saying well you know they they we are we, we, why should the poor public hospitals be under uh, uh, under this pressure i can understand that they are they are uh, you know ethical and outstanding clinicians who want to improve their services just for the sake of being better providers and having better outcome but but that's not how you build up systems of accountability if you want to build up system of accountability it has to be across the board and the private providers need to come within that system you cannot let them sit sit, sit outside it is it is just to me it is just very very strange so that is what we need to work on that the health authorities every province now has a has a, a you know a kpk health authority and there's a punjab health authority and there are all these commissions so where are they what is their job who is holding them accountable why are they not accountable why are they not doing this so you know it is it is to the credit of these outstanding clinicians that they are in a, in, in a sense auditing themselves and looking to improve their own services but but uh, you know that's that's not how service delivery systems work you know i although medicine is a profession it is based on some compassion and based on this that and the other but it's a service like any other service people who offer this service charge for it people who offer this service are expected to have certain skills and the skills of certain standards which are to the benefit of the buyer somebody buys their service so it's almost like buying and selling shoes or buying and selling cars you know so 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 there is somebody who buys that and there's somebody who sells that so you can't you have to have that i urge dr batul to to uh, <laughs> you know, use use your your executive pr to say that no you know the health authorities need to bring all the private sector uh, hospitals into that and they should really be audited uh dr batul do you have something to add on to that Agree with Dr. Saab, and uh, I I don't think that private sector is exempt from audits, but uh, as we say, um, somehow there is need to improve the control, and when you bring control, often that control is very obnoxious, so that control needs to be controlled as well. So there are major issues. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um. Dr. Saman, can you please uh, reflect on the fact um, that uh, um, Pakistan is a country where there are the level and the um, presence of inequalities are very varied. There are linguistic to gender to income to social inequalities, and just like the pluralistic educational system is leading to perpetual class inequality, there is an argument in literature which says that. Uh, since uh, c section surgeries are being performed more in the um private sector as these seem to be more lucrative for them as compared to the public sector so can you bring in um the class inequality angle to that as well because 
very recent scholarship in the global literature is highlighting that the societies which already have class inequalities existing practices like these may perpetuate uh, that social income the social economic inequalities dr saman what's your take on that thank you for her for bringing this um up um, of course this is um, is also one of the major concern because um you know like of course uh, in pakistan like we don't have much um, i could say the health literacy health literacy too so um when you go um, into the hospital most of the people like they um, of course they treat doctors like uh, i would say like uh, i could say like like god like they they believe them like if a doctor says that is going to be a cesarean section then then they, they really believe that it is of their best interest if the doctor is saying so and then um, of course not all the people uh, of course if if a mother is um, in a um, bad condition and if we go to the hospital then of course at that point it's a very critical uh, situation um, like of course it's um, the child is going to be um, like it's it's going to be a birth there and it's very critical situation in a sense that it can be exploited easily so that's why these high cesarean section rates are um, concerning and there comes the class differences because people are not much health literate they believe their doctors and they could be exploited so yes there is of course there is uh, related to the class and of course poverty and inequality and everything comes up and it's add up to this uh, situation um, even intensely so yes of course and it is well um, discussed in literature um, and i think it's that's my take and of course like uh, it's add up to the miseries <laughs> at the patient uh, dr bitul dr saman has uh, provided us with a theoretical lens as a practitioner do you see that uh, if unregulated and un- if this if this process and, and practices performed unregulatedly and uncontrollably then it may perpetuate class inequality or the social economic inequalities in the society do you view that holding true in the context of pakistan i am unable to really understand your question uh, one part that someone mentioned was that patients think that the doctors are like god i think that one i'll respond to they don't think that anymore <laughs> the climate has changed patients are very discerning patients are very critical and i would say more than maybe 30 to 50% are seriously not very sure whether they are getting good care they are critical they go from doctor to doctor they go from hospital to hospital there are some who do not have the resources or there are some who are still very simple but majority are not very sure of the services they are being provided and that is true for again i would say it is the current scenario if you have a lawyer you ask another lawyer whether this lawyer is telling me right if you have a, a estate and property consultant you go and talk to another one just to be sure whether he is lying or telling the truth and the same is true for doctors as well because it is a cultural phenomena when you do not have systems and you do not have confidence in 
the even the qualifications you are not really sure whether this doctor has got the qualification that is written on the prescription pad so there, there are things which are very very distressing and it is again a systems issue there's a systems issue uh, if you would repeat the question i'll try to respond to it uh, ma'am i was just trying to understand um that since uh, public sector is responding to a particular class and private sector is responding to a particular class um and those classes already have widespread social economic inequalities between them so whether this practice of cease possession and confinement of the of uh, the thing one thing but taking place within the domain of public hospitals and another in private hospitals do you think that it will lead to more income inequality mm-hmm. not if not to the to the, the mm-hmm. social inequalities basically whoever can trace the pay the higher price can yeah. yes. get i would the best. i would agree with you i would agree with you uh, uh in the public sector uh we have a different clientele compared to the private sector and uh, but the discernment and the knowledge and the attitudes of patients are not too different maybe the elitist private hospitals have a different clientele but currently patients who are coming to the public sector if they can afford they will go to the relatively less expensive private facilities and there maybe the service provider would not be as qualified or the facility may not be as up to the mark as the top of the line private facility so there are serious discrepancies and we often make a little bit of a joke uh, in our uh, government facility that women coming to our hospital often are very upset with their husband and i said why and my one of my residents said because you know her husband has brought her to a public hospital so she's upset with her husband but she's taking that uh, temper out on the poor doctors looking after her or maybe on the facility so because there is a perception that if you go private you are a class above the person who's going public but i think i'm very privileged to work in pims where we have a lot of middle class and the entitled people coming coming very happily we are providing a very reasonable service in the government setup at a very low cost or no cost so i'm sure even in public hospitals we can improve our services and make it more friendly to our uh, patients and they can go with dignity there's definitely a divide so the class going to the better private hospitals and the public hospitals there is a divide um thank you very much i think uh, we can open the virtual floor for the questions one of uh-huh. the comments is that uh, to keep uh, hello but can i just add very quickly that sure ma'am sure ma'am in in this issue of inequality uh, if you there's one very important component of large public health programs Uh, on which there is uh, uh, experience that the lower classes aspire to the service structure of the upper classes and this we saw of almost for 20 years uh, in the issue of uh, providing formula to uh, babies because uh, women in developing countries who are poor women usually prefer not to breastfeed but to give formula to the to their children because of, to their babies and newborns also because they think that's what upper class women do so i think a little bit of that is playing over here also that because it is the the richer women and women who go to fancy hospitals they get cesarean section so if you aspire to be the you know to aspire to rise in life then you do you you aspire to that so that might also create inequality 
I have just come across very interesting research which is done in Punjab, a paper which has been published by, by in the Eastern Mediterranean Journal. And the title of that is Prevention, uh, Prevalence and Determinants of C-section in Punjab. And what they found, which I find, which even the, the authors couldn't explain, and they said it needs more research, is that in, the, in, uh, in Bahawalpur, in southern Punjab, which is really a, a, a not really a very affluent area, and there are not many, many fancy private hospitals, yet in the public sector hospitals, the, in, the prevalence of cesarean section is a lot higher and almost the same as in Islamabad and Rawalpindi, where there is a very high prevalence of, of this. So it's not necessarily something that is only related to uh, income of the, of the consumer. There must be some other, other factor. And I'm sure you know, researchers like uh, Dr. Saman Nazir, who are probably listening to this podcast, might be interested in exploring that further so that we also get a little bit more, more knowledge about why that happens. Thank you for this interview. Sure, ma'am. Um, I think we can open our virtual floor for the uh, questions. Uh, one attendee has requested to please keep the conversation bilingual. We prefer we we try to keep it uh, multilingual or at least bilingual. Just uh, but uh, since for some of the speakers are from the other countries as well, so we try to keep it more tilted towards the English, but we will definitely be careful and, res and while responding to your questions, we will keep it bilingual. Um, Mahvish Mahmood, can you please unmute yourself and ask your question? Alaikum ji. Um, I'm assistant professor at the Lahore School of Economics and I've been working um, across the country in various uh, capacities. And I've also had a chance to train a lot of government um, uh, employees in different uh, parts of the country. Um, so my first question to the panel is that, um, yes, we understand that uh, research is something which may not be sort of uh, uh, that important in terms of implementing certain types of healthcare policies in, in the country. But uh, one of the eschewed or uh, probably overlooked um, sort of area, which I feel needs to be addressed is how are doctors compensated in unserved and underserved areas of the, of the country? Uh, so for, major, for, for, for cities, we understand that there are doctors and there's some kind of a system where they're compensated. But what about the underserved areas of the country, number one? And number two, what about national healthcare systems? When will we have a homogeneous system which will serve everybody across the board? So um, that's my other question. And how do you uh, sort of um, have transparency in uh, mother-child healthcare systems, which are uh, perhaps paperless, which can be sort of um, looked into um, uh, by, by policymakers as well as health practitioners so that it's something which uh, the, the mother or anybody who's uh, going in for healthcare services can actually access and, and understand and have uh, transparency in, in terms of the pricing, in terms of any prior um, coaching that they require. Um, I, I have come across a lot of mothers who don't even know the basics of how to give birth to a child in this country. And also there are, there are mothers who don't know how to uh, 
handle themselves or their children after after birth also there are some uh, mothers who suffer from postpartum depression also so postnatal care is also something uh, that can be sort of included in the transparency uh, system that we can uh, we can actually adopt in this country so that it can be uh, something which is going to empower our women to make choices and intelligent choices in deciding sure. how to, uh, how to sort of take care of themselves as well as their families thank you very much sure sure thank you um can any one of our panelists respond to that or should i take all the questions and then take the turns However, however you want to do. I think this was more of a comment rather than a yeah, question exactly. for us to respond exactly. to. So, exactly. but if you have any response, please go ahead. I would, I would like to, I would like to speak to that a little bit because the the questioner has actually opened a Pandora's box. <laughs> you know, there is everything, everything that is that is wrong. You have highlighted that. Uh, I basically feel that you know, doctor's fee is basically an issue of rate setting. You know, how how do you how do you determine what is a rational? Uh, uh, and there is a method and a system to that. Other countries do it. You know, we 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 know how that is that is done. But who to do it? Like Dr. Batul was saying that you know, all these commissions and all these all these people who has to do it. In terms of the homogenous system that you are talking about, again, you know, it's the, it, it could take us back to the same issue that we have been discussing. That of course you need a, a you need a homogenous system. You used actually a very nice word that you need a homogenous system. But you see what is happening even now. Even now, although the prime minister in his maiden speech said that you know uh, uh, maternal health and and malnutrition in children and child health services was his priority. But you know where is the where is the discussion on that? Where is the making of that? Where is the design of that service? So the homogenous system that you are talking about is not even being discussed. You know there is always crisis-oriented response of the government that uh, you know this is what we need to do. Or up to ye COVID aagya, you know we have this business going on for the past nine months. So everybody is caught up in that. But you are right that there needs to be serious, consistent thinking. From all stakeholders, not just the politicians, and not just the parliamentary committee, and not just the clinician, but uh, but serious discussion from all the stakeholders that you want a system which caters to the lowest common denominator. So people who cannot pay, people who cannot get to hospitals in time, people who cannot take care of themselves, because a person's uh, uh, the one of the uh, good. Uh, outcomes in health services is correlated very directly with education in women in themselves, and they are better able to take care of their newborn children. So, of course, you know when we talk about larger homogenous system, there are other uh, service delivery systems that also come in here. So, very good, very good point to raise. Thanks. Uh, I'll make another comment. The uh, uh, basically remuneration of doctors in cities and in the remote areas. we have lots of uh, um, activities that have been done and implementations in kp they had a very different package pay package for doctors who were working in periphery and that resulted in tremendous number of doctors getting jobs and going to the remote areas and getting maybe twice or thrice the salary that the city doctors were getting and this was good similarly in punjab in the uh, there have been so many 
uh, doctors going to the basic health units because the residency was made to be um, uh, sort of an incentive that if you work in the basic health unit for a year, you'll get 10 added marks or 20 added marks and young doctors go and they populate the basic health units and that gives them uh, basic service by qualified people. So there are lots of successful models, uh, but unfortunately all our models are just one-stop models. They are not uh, sustainable models. So if we could learn from whatever good experiments have happened and implement it all over, uh, it could be a success story. It is not political, it is not provincial, it is not regional, it is a national disaster. Our maternal and neonatal parameters are so shameful that in international fora, uh, uh, you would rather not go. You would rather not go with these statistics. So why not work on them and whatever successes we've had, let's replicate and duplicate them rather than start some more vertical programs which are going to fizzle out in a short while. And this is not for me. I can only make big statements. I'm not the policy maker. I'm a clinician. I'm, I have interest in uh, you know things, but I cannot implement. I can only suggest. Sure. Uh, Hofran Khan, please unmute yourself and ask the question. Thank you, sir, for giving me a chance for speaking. My question to Dr. Saima Bhattu. Kindly, ma'am, tell me how C-section is occurred because the gynecologists know all about the health of the baby and his mother. At the last stage, doctor steals to the patient for C-section delivery. Who is responsible for this mother or doctor? Is it a natural process or miscare of health? In my opinion, we are, we are not blaming the system because the appointment are arranged between the gynecologist and his patients. This is my question. Thank you. Sure. Uh, that's an excellent, uh, very uh, simple question. Uh, it is not a blame game. Caesarean section is a way of delivery which has saved so many mothers' lives. In maybe my grandmother's time, 100 years ago, there was no cesarean section. And women used to die of obstructed labor. The children used to die. And there was nothing to do for them other than pray to Allah. Nowadays, we do not reach that stage. Because we are able where normal delivery is not likely. Uh, or if the normal delivery, if we wait for the next 6 to 12 hours, may result in serious damage to the health and life of the baby or the mother, we would intervene. So it is a contract between the doctor and the patient. Uh, there are some patients who come to me and say, Doc Saab, we've heard you do a lot of normal deliveries. So we've come to you and we are hoping that we will not have a cesarean section. I said, it is a very good thing that you're telling me. I'm very encouraged by your response, but I do not guarantee a normal delivery or a cesarean section. I would try my best to do a safe delivery. And the safe delivery means that the mother and baby would be healthy at the end of the delivery procedure. Whether it would be a normal delivery, whether it would be an instrument delivery, whether it would be a cesarean section, it is the events during labor that will tell us what is the safest method. In majority of women, in majority of healthy women, we would try to go for a normal delivery. And if there is a need for cesarean section, you would be taken into uh, confidence by the obstetrician, uh, the doctor who's looking after the patient, 
and would be told this is the reason we are thinking of doing a cesarean because this is for the mother or this is perhaps for the baby and this is the safest route or we would say there's no need of cesarean we wait for two more hours and this baby will deliver normally so this is how it works uh, i think obstetrics is one of obstetrics means the science of uh, looking after pregnant women so obstetrics is one of the most difficult fields of uh, medicine because you are dealing with two lives you have to look after two uh, individuals and you have to ensure safety for both you should know how to do surgery but you should also know a lot of medical disorders blood pressure diabetes uh, so many illnesses infections that can happen to these women and you will know a bit of medicine you know a lot of surgery and you know how to manage the delivery and the pregnancy so i i feel it is a privilege to be an obstetrician and it is a big responsibility to be one and it is the duty of everyone to do it to the best of their capacity and it's a mutual contract between the patient and the doctor whether public or private doesn't matter it's a matter of providing service we have uh, been privileged to have attained the degree of mbbs and specialization and if we give a good service and have a good outcome that is what we are there for and the patient has to have confidence in the healthcare provider because they are doing it to the best of their capacity so this is a mutual trust relationship and if that goes everything goes thank you ma'am uh, sana sana will you please unmute yourself and ask the question sana i think she has left okay uh, do we have any further questions um gofran would you like to add to something actually uh, sana uh, i i think we can take sana's question first sana hey no questions sir okay uh, uh, please we'll let fusana speak first and then i'll get back to you sana please ask your question ji yes, assalam alaikum uh, my name is sana khalik and uh, i'm a student of fight and uh, uh, also i am uh, a married woman and i'm just about to have a baby as well so i needed to ask a question from dr saida batul that uh, just now you said that uh, uh, it's uh, between the patient and the doctor the trust the mutual trust that to have uh, the c section to to you know trust them if the c section is going to go or not if it's going to be a normal delivery if they are going to put their trust in or not sometimes uh, now the thing is that uh, <clears throat> i've seen uh, many cases that uh, where not only in public hospitals but also in private hospitals very expensive hospitals many doctors also prefer doing performing c section without taking into consideration uh, of the patient care and uh, you know patient's uh, well being uh just to you know make money that's that's what i think theek hai just to make an extra penny but uh, the thing is that uh, uh, and also uh, another thing is that uh, c section is also very um a very problematic surgery uh, in long term because many women also opt for uh, normal deliveries which uh, it's very convenient and uh, it doesn't have any long lasting uh, you know medical impact rather than c section the c section is uh, it raises a lot of concerns that so my question is that how can 
you develop uh, how can the doctor and the patient you know it, uh, this gap can be you know fulfilled that how can a doctor uh, create a trust uh, regarding this kind because you said that uh, doctors are not anymore gods so yeah patients god they know more they read more they prefer you know ke matlab wo pehle pehle sari cheeze study karke jaate hain aur aapke paas aate hain to phir wo they are more likely likely to you know ask more questions create more problems for themselves so how can a doctor make sure that they are doing absolutely right how can a patient know that the doctor what the doctor is doing is absolutely right sure. there are sure. no absolutes in life there are no absolutes in life so uh, uh, medical care is not absolute there is no bible of medicine or obstetrics patients are not the same every individual is different every woman is different allah has somehow made a, a so individual similarly every doctor is different there is no generic doctor and there is no generic patient and i don't think the doctors can suddenly become angels or they are going to be a representative of your society and patients are also representative of the society jaisi aapki society hai jaise aapke patients hain unhi mein se aapke doctors bante hain and uh, uh, i mean uh, you can when the best part of obstetrics is you see your doctors several times you're supposed to visit your doctor four to eight times in the pregnancy so you develop a rapport so the obstetrician is not a strict doctor they are often looking after women in a state of health pregnancy is a state of health delivery is a state of health which can suddenly change into a disease so that is why you do not go to a midwife or a dai because she would not be able to look you look after you if you are converted into a state of disease 20% of healthy women will become diseased when they are going through a physiological process so there is no doctor who who is a generic and is going to be perfect neither is there a patient who is going to be generic and very perfect this is a field of medicine which is very litigious america the insurance of obstetrics doctor is by far the highest by far the highest because they have majority of legal suits are against the obstetricians whatever goes wrong with the baby the obstetrician is blamed so these are very important points and i would ask uh, whoever the lady sana who asked this question i'm sorry there's no simple answer to your question and um, whoever you see you develop a confidence you only go to a certain person or a certain hospital Uh, because of the repute of that place you know this is a good place you know there is a good doctor and you see that doctor then you have to trust that doctor and trust is something jo ke har cheez mein hai aap school le jaate hain apne bacche ko wahan pe teacher hota hai wo padhata hai aap trust karte hain us school ko ki wo aapke bacche ko hifazat se rakhega wo aapko achhi education dega aapka exam fair hoga yahi sab cheeze doctor mein bhi hain so we have to be fair and the systems and the country and the people they determine what sort of doctors what sort of patients you have 
Thank you so uh, much. Uh, let me, let me, if you, if you permit me with your permission, can I add a little bit to to Sanaa? Sure, ma'am. Please, ma'am. Sure. Uh, Sanaa, you you have raised actually uh, 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 an issue which is which is very central to developing uh, large service delivery systems. The issue is that uh, somebody has to make sure. that whoever is selling the product which is this obstetrical care let's suppose it's a product that somebody is selling and you are buying it so this is a service delivery system like any other system so somebody has to ensure that whoever is selling the product is a person with competence to sell it and the product is of of a certain standard in most of the most of sensible countries that is the part or that is the responsibility of the ministry of health or the government to ensure which is why in united states every state requires it has its own standard for which which the doctors have to pass and to get a license to practice in a particular state so there are there are bodies there are uh, regulatory bodies most of the time though they are also peer review bodies that ensure that there is a certain uh, accepted minimum level of competence and a minimum level of standard that this this uh, service has uh within after that then the, so as dr uh, batul said that of course you know you have to have trust in your physician you meet them and you develop trust but you also have to have some kind of a trust in your overall health system so the issue in pakistan is that you know a lot of people don't trust the system so which is why they feel that you know they have to find out about the doctor and and once you have that trust which is based on consistent performance not only in the health services but in other areas i will bring that to analogy to you is related to the vaccination program in pakistan for example you know there is ample research and we even uh, we at lumps had just uh, finished a, a piece of research that we conducted in kasur where we found out that mothers refuse to have their children vaccinated because they feel that when we go to the system to get service from them they are not there they are not responsive to our needs because the health center is closed the doctor is not there the medicines are not there and they are told to you know go away or come back after whatever time and then suddenly the next day the system comes into our home to give this very nice thing to which they say is very nice so trust not only in your physician but trust also in your system so 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 that is also a responsibility of the government and the authority to make sure that people who are providing you the service have the required qualifications have the required education have the required expertise and have the required competencies which is why in most countries there are continuing medical uh, education courses which the physicians have to take to to get certified and be licensed every year we have to have our licenses renewed every year in in united states just to make sure that we are trustworthy i will just on a lighter note uh in pakistan we have a very robust pakistan medical and dental council which is now converted into pakistan medical council and being the premier institute in the capital every 3 to 4 years a uh, national assembly sends a question to us that please verify the degrees of all the employees of pims so every 4 years i send my degrees starting from metric to mbbs to mrcog to frcog so they keep asking our the uh, employees every national assembly asks this question that why please verify all the degrees so they keep verify i am very much verified over the past 20 30 years 
<laughs> so, uh, and PMDC, you have to have a valid PMDC registration if you are practicing. So that is a, a recommendation, but implementation is important. Somebody has to go and check with the private, who is going to check? Uh, that person checking, is that person bona fide? Is that person uh, corruption free? So there's so many things and the systems have to be developed. So Pakistan has some things which are on paper, some things which are in action, and there's need to work on it and work sincerely. I'm sure there is always light at the end of the tunnel. I have great hopes. Yes, ma'am. We all hope to wake up to a better morning, inshallah. Uh, on that, Dr. Saman Nazin, I think we can take uh, the final words from our speakers. Yes, Fahad Chor, and I think it's, um, it's went well and it's well discussed, well argued, and there's a lot of stuff for like our policymakers to implement all these things that we uh, brought today on the table. And um, I would like to um, ask Dr. Samia and Dr. Batul if they have any last words add to this webinar. And we are really um, pleased to have them with us today. And um, I think uh, at this point, I think I asked them to add the final words if they have to say anything about the webinar to sum up the, our discussion. Well, uh, I don't have uh, anything to add. I think this has been a very, very productive uh, and a very uh, useful and a much needed discussion. And I thank uh, Pied for, as always, for, for bringing it forward. But I would like for us to try and see what we can do to push Dr. Saman Nazir's uh, research into next policy for maternal and, and child part of the policy. We have to find a way to bring it to that level where uh, to the notice of the policymakers so that uh, it, it uh, feeds into that and informs that policy. So we, I, I will start thinking about that and, uh, and encourage the participants also. Thank you very much for, for uh, inviting me to this webinar and uh, thank you very much to the participants. It's been an honor to be on the same panel with uh, Dr. Batul and with uh, Dr. Saman Nazir. And thank you, Fahad, for a very well-conducted and a very well-executed session. Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Batul, would you like to have some final word? Thank you so much. I think I enjoyed this session. It was a mix of research, a mix of public health, and some clinical uh, inputs and obviously the consumer's point of view, the client's point of view came in as well. And I think I wish and hope that we, our policy is dictated by the research and the facts which are on the ground and the policy gets beyond the paper and comes into the actual clinical scenario. That's my hope and that's what I pray for. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much. Um... Dr. Salman, would you like to add to that? Uh, I think that's all. And I think it's, we had a great session today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you to all the attendees. And thank inshallah, you. we'll keep the narrative going, inshallah. Thank you very much. Allah Hafiz. Thank you. Allah Hafiz. Allah Hafiz. Allah Hafiz. Allah Hafiz.